Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I am your host and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, as I have done before, I have taken a rather long break during the summer. I I do that intentionally just to uh, spend time with family, do some traveling, and also start to build up uh, some uh, connections with people to do new episodes. And man, we're ready to roll. I've, I've got a number of uh, pod- podcast topics that I'll be covering in the next couple weeks and months. Uh, but today, let me tell you about what we're doing today. I'm interviewing a, um, a, a young lady by the name of Noelle Moore, uh, who has a, a heartbreaking story that she has... Um, been called to to put out there and uh, and out of the tragedy that she has experienced she's uh, had uh, an amazing opportunity to uh, to see the Lord Jesus uh, do a work of healing in the lives of others uh, Noelle Moore lost her uh, only child uh, shortly after birth and and also as a result of that impacted her marriage and uh, and this book uh, is entitled more than i'm sorry how to help any mom after the loss of their child and uh, it's just a gripping story a, a gripping interview uh, noel currently lives in in florida and she is the uh, founder and executive director of the finley project and we will be talking about that we'll, we'll be talking about what it's like to experience loss like this but also how to come around uh, others who are going through this, how to come around a marriage. That's a, an area that I want to talk about. And I think there's a real vacuum there of having a intentional support to a husband and wife when they've experienced loss. So uh, that is what we're going to do. So without any further ado, let me jump into this interview with Noel Moore. All right. Well, I have... Uh Noel Moore on the uh, my Zoom call. We don't have cameras working, or mine's not working. So you turned your camera off, which I guess is fair, right, Noel? That's right. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I'm saying no. It's Noel, right? That's right. Like Christmas. Okay. Okay. I, I'll try not to slip to Noel. That's uh, that's that's not right. <laughs> yeah. So well, listen. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. You you wrote a book, and we're going to be talking about the book, and it's uh. It's entitled "More Than I'm Sorry," uh, a story that comes out of loss, the loss of your your daughter, and uh, so we're going to be talking about that. But first of all, just share a little bit about yourself, um, where you live, and what you do. And I also, with that, love to ask the question: What matters the most in in your life when I interview people for my podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I am super excited to um, just talk with you this morning and. I am down here in sunny Florida. Yay. Um, yay. Born and raised. And I've uh, had the privilege of living in some different places across the country, including California, and um, ended up in the mountains of North Carolina with family, and then ended up back here in Florida about 10 years ago. Um, and so currently, I'm the executive director of the nation's only um, holistic program for moms who experience um, infant loss. And so that's my my full-time gig. And uh, I absolutely love what I do. Um, and in terms of the question, what matters the most, I, I am just a firm believer of 
um, allowing God to use um, every experience to impact other people. And so that's, that's just how I live my life and find the purpose and the meaning in that. So, yeah, I love that. Henry Nguyen calls that being a wounded healer mm-hmm. and letting, letting the Lord uh, use your story and your, your experience. And as we'll probably talk about, there's, there's healing that comes from that when you see how your story is impacting others. Um, well, that, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. And we, um, we, we know each, I, it took me a while to put the pieces together, but I, we lived in Franklin, North Carolina, where you lived. And, and, um, I, you had mentioned too, that you'd been in our house and we had a group of, uh, young people over with my, my daughter and her friends. So that's just really cool that, uh, we've got that connection. And my daughter is actually the one who recommended the book to me. So I got it right away. And as soon as I started reading it, I, I told her, I mean, I've got to connect with, uh, with Noel and, and do this interview. So, um, okay. So yeah, the topic, uh, what we're going to talk about today is again, centered mostly around your book and your story. Uh, it's, uh, again, more than, uh, I'm sorry, uh, which, you know, I think speaks for itself, but tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and, uh, what would you say it's the, is the central message of the book? Um, I wrote more than I'm sorry. Let's see here. I, I think for me, <clears throat> I think this phrase that is floating around our world um, and our nation is just, is just this phrase of more than I, uh, I'm sorry. And I think mm-hmm. watching people go through grief, I think there's this frustration that although like, sorry, I'm sorry is a nice thing to say, there's mm-hmm. gotta be more behind it. And after watching now hundreds and hundreds of families in our program, experience the loss of an infant there's actual action that can be taken mm-hmm. that i think people need to understand you know so like you know putting some action behind words is why i wrote the book yeah 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 what what is um uh, just curious what you if you come up with the same thing i would come up with when people just say i'm sorry what's the typical response it's just awkward. I think, yeah. okay, you know, thank you. It's usually just yeah. followed by, well, thank you so yeah. much. And then yeah. you're just sitting there going like, like now what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, sometimes I'll say it's okay. And then I realized I just kind of uh, downplayed uh, the, you know, their intent and in, in wanting to identify uh, with, with my loss, if that was the subject. So, uh, so yeah. So I love that. It's uh, it's, it's action um, involvement, um, entering into the experience of others, helping them, uh, coaching them through, uh, you know, grief. That's uh, one of the things I, I saw a lot in, in what you were writing. Uh, so, yeah, again, maybe you're repeating what you said here, uh, but what, so if you were to say the central message of this book is, is what? I have found that people want to help like the genuine, the genuine mm. intent of people is they, whether they're, you know, believers or not, or just, you know, people walking alongside of those grieving, they want to help, but they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I want to take away the scariness of it by saying, Hey, here's some practical things that you can do to actually make an impact mm-hmm. in their journey. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I wrote a book, a little booklet called Did I Say the Right Thing? And I've, it's, I think it's been published for about 15 years. And it's amazing when people read that. It's like, you know, we, I never thought about these things. And 
So it, I, I think it's a topic that uh, uh, obviously there's, you know, if it's written by someone who's gone through it, there's, there's a lot of credibility and it comes out of experience. It comes out of what you've seen works and doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the biggest part that I, I have families reach out and just thank, you know, they'll thank me. Oh my gosh. You know, I didn't even realize like how much my son or daughter needed counseling mm-hmm. or, you know, I had no idea what the benefits of like the physical touch through massage would do for me physically and emotionally. So it's been interesting to see just the feedback mm-hmm. on the different things. Yeah. Okay. Well, t- tell the story a little bit um, uh, in more detail here. You, you had uh, a series of losses uh, really in a very short period of time. Your, your father died, Finley died, and then your marriage. So uh, t- tell that story. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I, I refer to it as a triple triad. It's like, you know, in the knee, there's like the different ligaments and mm. it's almost an injury that's, you know, unfortunately happens. And so I look at my life, especially that span of time as the triple triad. Um, and, and all of this happened, uh, 2013. Um, my dad, who, I mean, he and I were just inseparable best friends. Yeah, yeah. Dad, you really, you, know? you your your uh, description of that relationship is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I just I wanted to paint that picture that like he was my buddy, <clears throat> and um, he, you know, I never, I never had seen him sick. I didn't, you know, I knew he was older, but I just never really saw him ailing in any way, truly. And so, in 2013, when he underwent a small procedure that then led to a heart attack that then ultimately um, ended his life. I mean, I was just, I, I never felt, I never felt anything that intense mm. before. And I was very mad. I just, I didn't understand why my first grief experience had to really be with somebody that was my, you know, my other half basically, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, unfortunately it was a, it was very juxtaposing because I was pregnant at that time when he died. Mm. And I just had this sense of like that life, like the full circle of life was so strange and crazy and weird. And like, here's his life ending and this new life is about to begin. Um, And so that's like, I think that was the hope. That's what kept me going. You know, I want to honor this new creation. I want to, you know, just push forward for her, for his honor. Um, And so, yeah, 2013, uh, July, I was full term. Um, my husband and I were, we were struggling a little bit after the death of my dad, just, he didn't know how to help me and I didn't know Uh what I needed. And so when this, um, when I'm admitted into the hospital full term, um, you know, it's a happy day, you know, Uh the sun is shining and we're in this beautiful hospital and everybody's excited. And like, I'm finally having this, this child, like I've always wanted, you know, and, um, I was, uh, in labor for many, many hours. So a whole day went by, um, and they, you know, they induced me the next day, um, in labor. And that's when some things, you know, my family started asking questions, like how long are we gonna, you know, go through this? How long are we going to wait? Like not much is happening. You know, this is getting a little, you know, scary, um, a lot of questions were starting to be asked after about 30, 30 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
unfortunately, my doctors, the two primary physicians, they left the property um, at about 30 hours. And, you know, Mitch, there, this is the part of my story that probably causes me, it, it hits just this point of pain for me because it was literally in that decision is why we're talking today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they left the property and shortly thereafter, I needed an emergency C-section and um, that's when chaos ensued and they looked and they, they could not find an OB on property to do an emergency C-section. My goodness. Um, Mm. Yeah. And so I ended up waiting in the OR for like 45 minutes, just prepped and ready while you know, essentially she's dying and, um, there's just, it was just the most helpless feeling, um, to be a part of. And eventually they got her out and resuscitated her and put her on life support. Um, and you know, the weeks ensued. So it was, it was horrific. Um, and then after, you know, almost a month, we had to make literally the worst decision of our lives. There's this beautiful baby with every finger, every toe, um, full head of hair. Um, but she would never walk or talk or know us Mm -hmm. to remove her from life support. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was just, you know, I just remember praying the night before I said, God, please just like, I promise I will, you know, make meaning out of her life. If you heal her, you know, um, but unfortunately like we had to, you know, remove life support. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm burdened as you're sharing that, that in, you know, as tragic as that is, you know, had your dad been there as close as you, you were, he would have been a great support to you. And, and that, that adds, you know, layers of, of grief and sadness to, to the story, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. I felt like this cloud of grief was just mm-hmm. everywhere and I couldn't get out of it. And then watching her and then, you know, like you said, that huge piece of my life was already missing going into this experience. And then, you know, then having to engage in the worst part of my life without mm-hmm. him. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was just, uh, it felt debilitating. I mean, it truly was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. As you, as you look back at that, uh, uh, and I, I, I mean, obviously there's, you clung to something, you know, you, you anchored to some things. And uh, so as you look back at that, I mean, I can hear the emotions and the pain still, I mean, and that will always be there. Uh, but how did, how did you survive that? Whew. Uh, it wasn't pretty. I mean, I can't say uh, now I know how I feel and, and how, what I can see from it. But in that mm-hmm. moment, there was, uh, I mean, there was, uh, anger. There was, uh, I, you know, would cling to my faith. And then there was moments where I was like, I God, I don't even believe in you because I can't yeah. imagine, you know, a God that I always knew would do this, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Th- it was, there was a lot of grappling, a lot of questioning. There was, um, a lot of searching, um, you know, it was, it was not a straight line journey at all. It was very up and down for me. And it went on for a lot of years, actually. I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I describe that as, uh, in, in, in our case, uh, revisiting, I had to revisit my theology. I had to re re kind of reset what I believed about God. And, 
and and the theology of suffering and and you know it, and I describe it as as having a deeper sense of mystery and awe. But getting there involved you know confusion, disorientation, and uh, I I sense that that was your journey as well as I was as I was reading through your book. Yeah, that's a, that's such a great way to say revisiting theology. I I can remember vividly coming home from somewhere and I just collapsed on the kitchen floor and I just was ugly crying and just crying out to God and I was like, God, I'm I I know I've got to relinquish this and I said I felt like God said if you're going to believe in seeing her again or in hope, then you have to believe in the hope of heaven. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like God said, then you're going to have to believe in all that I say. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I've got to, I've got to let this go. Like I've got to, I've got to believe again. And that was a pivotal moment. Yeah. 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 And I'm still, I'm sure still, still a journey. Uh, I think it's a, it's a lifetime journey Mm -hmm. of, of doing that. Um, yeah. And, and then, uh, your, your marriage did not, uh, survive that either. What, uh, what do you want to share about that? Uh, yeah, I think, um, gosh, it's so interesting how, um, I, I, to this day, I don't have angst towards him by any means. I actually feel very sad for him. Um, because I know how much pain he was in Mm. and unfortunately, like soon after she died, he was just grieving very differently than I was. And, um, I know that's very common now. Mm-hmm. But I was so frustrated and I think he was frustrated. And, um, two weeks after she died, I came home and my, my house was cleared out from all of his stuff. And, um, basically he just left, like, just didn't want to deal with it. Didn't want to be married anymore, but I didn't, I didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, months had gone by. I didn't hear from him. I wouldn't see him. I mean, I, I truthfully, I think him leaving was almost worse than her dying. Yeah. Yeah. The rejection and the loneliness and, and, you know, dealing with all the things I had to deal with without literally now I don't have a dad and now I don't have a husband. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It's crazy to look back. Yeah. Um, who, who sustained, who was there the most for you during that time that filled uh, the, that vacuum as much as it possibly could? You know, um, in the terms of like, just like daily life, I would definitely say my family. Um, but there came a point when I needed to talk to somebody that like actually understood how I felt and Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I had a really hard time finding somebody like Mm. that had gone through what I had gone through or something similar. And eventually I found this mom who had lost her toddler, um, in, in a kind of a tragic way. And I was like, I was desperate to meet with her every week or two, Mm. like just I needed to somebody that had gone through it to say, you're going to make it because unless you felt the way I felt, then I don't really, I didn't really believe what you said. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're, you know, the, the tendency can be to even isolate, you know, and, Oh, no one's out there. There's no one that understands. And then, you know, we just kind of suck it up and, and push through. Uh, but it was important for you to find someone. It, uh, you, you, you're mentioning that you were looking for someone and finally did. And, um, and that person committed themselves to, to help you, didn't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember like I was 
couldn't wait to see her at coffee the next day, mm-hmm. which is, mm-hmm. you know, these little, these little yeah. nuggets of these little hopeful nuggets, I call them. It's almost mm-hmm. like that little trail of like, okay, here's your next thing that will help feed you and encourage you. Like those little nuggets are what I looked forward to, like in the early days. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, you, you mentioned in the book, and I, I love the way you, you couch this, uh, that, I mean, it's it's heavy as well that uh, there was a loss of the years of promise that that comes with losing a child. Uh, Expand on that a little bit. When, you know, as humans, we we plan for older folks to to die. That's just Mm -hmm. a natural progression. And I think a child goes against the natural progression of life and the natural order and I think that's why I feel so strange and so terrible because your mind isn't prepared for it. Your heart yeah. doesn't prepare for it. You know, I mean, with older folks, you've got life insurance, you have funeral plans, you, you know, you think about retirement. It's and somewhat then, you know, expected and you, you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you anticipate that, but this is so unnatural. Yeah. And I've heard that phrase so unnatural, but it really hit me um, when I was writing this book, how unnatural it really is. Mm. You know, It just it overwhelmed me. And I I know I wrote quite a bit about that whole natural process, but you know, when, when your mind doesn't see a a semi coming, you know, that semi hits harder. And Mm -hmm. with older folks, you see that semi coming Mm -hmm. with a baby, a child, you don't see that thing coming. And it, it is, it, it can knock you off completely, knock you off track completely. Um, and that's what I see. That's what I felt. That's what I see in the program that we run. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, I'm, I'm eager to talk a little bit more about that. We'll jump into that. But it, it, this impacted your identity as well, didn't it? I mean, you're, you're a, a daughter, a wife, a mother. All of that is taken away from you. How did you, how did you navigate that? And, and what eventually led you to be in a healthy place in terms of that identity? I actually have chills when you ask me that question. I, I have tears in my eyes with that question because... Mm. I was stripped away of everything, everything, you know, you know, I was a college athlete. I was, you know, my dad's daughter. I was um, this wife of this great, you know, military man, like all these things. And literally like, I had to look myself in the face and be like, like, who did God make you to be? And, and and I had to find that person. And it was, it was, it was hard. And, and I think in that moment, that's when I realized like, this world, this stuff of this world, like it doesn't even matter. It can be gone in the, in the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. you know? And so I had to, um, I had to discover some things about myself, like, you know, what I was wired to love. What did I like to do? Like, who was I in different moments? Um, what are my attributes that are strong? Where are my weaknesses? I mean, it was like this, like peering into myself, which was, I mean, on top of everything else, it was, it was very hard you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and it's sudden, it, you know, and, and you don't, you don't plan for it. You don't ever prepare for that. So it, uh, yeah, I mean, disorienting is the, is the phrase that keeps coming to my mind. Um, you, you talk about, um, uh, guilt that you had the process with, with Finley's passing, um, explain that a little bit and, and how did you process that? Cause it was an avoidable situation. I think that makes it so much harder than if, you know, a kid has terminal, you know, cancer or something, and there's nothing that can be done. 
Yeah. I think with the guilt piece, I think, cause I couldn't see the other side of my story yet. And I mean, I'm still seeing it, you know, unfold. I think the guilt was so overwhelming because I didn't understand why it happened. I now know, I do mm-hmm. believe that it, that God allowed it to happen so that I would serve him through mm. uh, helping women. I know that now, but at that time, the reason guilt was so prominent was like, if I had done this, then I would be still, mm-hmm. if I had done this, I would still be married. If I had done this, I couldn't, I couldn't strip that. You know what? Like maybe this wasn't my destiny, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, I do, I will say I had some really strong grief share leaders that would say to me, you know, no, at that time you did everything you knew to do. At that time, you you know, you picked the best hospital you you knew of. At that time, you picked the best doctors you could, you know. So it was just that that phrase. I used to repeat that to myself over mm. and over. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And others, others speaking into into that and and giving you perspective. Uh, yeah, because we, you know, we can't control everything, you know, and, and that's, I think that's where guilt comes from is if, if I'd done this, that, 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 that kind of implies that we have complete control of every circumstance and, and situation. And that's not the case, you know, mm-hmm. this, uh, this question I, I'm, I'm hoping will uh, start to, you know, speak into uh, moms or dads or families that are you know, I've gone through this, particularly with the loss of a, of a child. Um, what, is, what is the hard work, as you look back, what is the hard work that uh, had to happen early on in this experience of loss? I want to say, um, I think to, to say it means to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and to speak it means to acknowledge it. I think when, um, when people choose to not open open up or open their mouth. It's a, I think it's a form of denial sometimes. Mm. So for me, it was speaking it, sharing it, telling the story to my counselor, talking through it, just continually working through all the details and going there. Like I would go there because there was some healing that there's a lot of healing that needed to take place in, in that whole accident and the whole incident. And that whole process, mm-hmm. there's so much healing. I needed to go back there to face it. You know, um, was it easy? No. Like, was it, was I exhausted after counseling? Yes. But I faced it head on by talking about it. Um, and so I think, I think I know a lot of people's natural tendency is to run or to shut down, but I believe it will manifest and it will mm-hmm. show up you know, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the book really helps uh, the person going through it as well as others on, on how to do that hard work. And, and hopefully we'll have a chance to touch on that. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit more about the, because this is so common. I'm, I'm in fact involved in a counseling situation right now where the marriage suffered because of the death of a child. And, and you, as you said earlier, that, that is harder than losing a child almost, you know? Um, and we often hear that that happens when there's a, a tragedy like this. Why do you believe that happens? And the, I guess the question I, I want to really hone in on is uh, because it's, it's sort of uh uh, strange to suggest that when there's loss of a child, that there should be marriage counseling, that there should be emphasis on the marriage. 
Um, what what do you what do you see there? What do you have to say that that could help people to understand the the importance of focusing on the marriage during a time of loss? I think it shows. I think it shows very clearly the differences between men and women, and um, how yeah. Yeah. you know. I, I mean, I do. I think it just brings to to light how God wired men and women very differently. And I I think, especially in my instance in my case that, um, I wanted to process with somebody and, and he didn't, you know, a lot of men don't, they just want to, I believe they want to do what they naturally do, which is, you know, take care and provide and, and, and go to work or, mm-hmm. and keep moving. And the reason that like our program is really helpful. I think it's, it's so good to see the women getting help because I think it relieves that burden from the man often. Yeah. You know, and to know that like his wife is taken care of and she has a friend group where maybe she can talk to about things maybe he doesn't understand. I think knowing that the woman has that support often relieves the burden from from the from the father. Mm, mm. That That's really interesting. I, and I agree with you. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I got a call yesterday from someone that that is recommending that the guy gets help and. And in this case, I, I thanked that guy because I, I said, you're, you're doing something very brave by encouraging your friend to, uh, you know, to, to deal with this. Because, uh, again, the tendency is to, to just, again, gut it out, be strong for everybody else. <clears throat> and uh, I, I know that was my tendency with what we went through is, that, you know, I, everyone's looking to me here and I need to be tough. And uh, but I had some people that came to me. I had, I had a guy fly all the way from Indianapolis to spend three hours with me to make sure I was dealing with, with my loss. And, uh, so it's, it's, yeah. So that, that inter it's almost an intervention, isn't it? Uh, you know, for, for the marriage, but the focus is so much on the loss that I think we forget, uh, you know, the impact that this has on, on a relationship because it affects the identity as parents as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, do you feel like there are more resources now for that, or is that something you all emphasize in your program? I, uh, I definitely think there's a opportunity for like men and women, husband, wife, spouse, whatever partners to go to counseling together. But mm-hmm. I still, we, we specifically really hone in on the mom so that if the father needs separate help or handles things differently, that at least we're taking care of the mom mm-hmm. so that she can have her space to vent or share or whatever. So, you know, we definitely encourage the couples to go to counseling, uh, <clears throat> sorry, support groups together. Cause I think that that's beneficial. Um, and then they can join, they can both go to counseling also. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. sounds like they're, they're, it'd be valuable to have a, an equivalent, you know, the Finley project for that focuses on men. Um, you know, maybe, I, and I know there are, there are resources out there, but it, it, it does seem to be, uh, you know, heavily tilted towards the, the, and, and it's logical that that's what you're doing. Um, you know, being a woman yourself. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's really being aware uh, for the church, particularly to, you know, so for pastors and leaders listening to this, that, uh, uh, you know, just uh, look out for the guy and and talk to him, take him out, you know, check up on him and don't just assume he's doing well because he appears to be on the outside, you know, 
Yes, I think yeah. I think that can avoid uh, some some difficulties. All right, well let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the the Finley project. Um, uh, share with us how it started, what the purpose is, and and maybe even you know some encor- encouraging stories that you can tell uh, about this uh, this program. So I was talking about uh, the day that Finley died. You know, removing her from life support and. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk out of this hospital, you go down the elevator and you go to your car and then it's like, now what? Like, like who helps me? Like, how do I, how do I deal with the fact that my, my child is, is there back there. And now I have to like go into this world. And I had this like very acute awareness of like, I don't, I can't navigate this by myself. I I just, I knew it was too much. And, um, I started reaching out for help. Um, I mentioned, I met the nice lady, uh, for coffee, but I didn't, I couldn't find somewhere where I belonged, like somebody like me. Um, and the Finley project actually started because I called a grief center in town. And when I asked the lady, I said, you know, um, I'd like to attend a support group. Somebody mentioned to me, it would be great. And, um, she said, okay, no problem. She said, now how old is your child? And I said, well, what do you mean? My child, my child just died. And she goes, oh, well, your other children, your other child. And I said, I don't have other children. Wow. Mm. And she said, oh, she said, I'm so sorry. You know, this is a, a children's grief center that adults can come to and meet, but you know, you're, you have to have another child and, you know, you want to talk about a, a kick in the stomach. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, mm. so I, I just, I was like, I live in a metropolitan area, you know, like, and there's, there's nothing for moms who experience infant loss. And so the Finley project started, um, the concept started because of that. And truthfully, Mitch, I, I thought, you know what, so many people can't afford counseling or they don't understand the benefits. And so I thought, you know, what, I want to pay for people to go to counseling. I think that's what I'll do. And so I met this, this mom, uh, like about two months in, um, after my loss and she had just lost her baby. And, um, I said, Hey, listen, um, I feel called to help people go to counseling. You know, I just, I feel like that's what I'm going to do, you know, in a bigger scale down the road. And she's like looking at me and I said, are you not interested? She's like, listen, she's like, I've been living in the Ronald McDonald house. I have no food in my pantry. My house is a mess. I don't have gas in my car. Um, physically, I'm sick to my stomach. She's like, as much as I would appreciate counseling, I'm just, I just need other things taken care of first. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. Yeah. Wow. And um, mm. I, I said, like, how can I serve you? You know, what do you? She's like, you know, I need pajamas. <laughs> you know, I need. Yeah, just practical, know, practical needs. Yeah, just practical things, groceries, just all those things, and so. That's when I, I took a step back and I looked at like, what were the things that benefited me that would benefit other families? Um, and that's how the seven parts were developed just by looking at the practical needs. So how would, how would you say this is unique from other models? I mean, the obvious answer to that is you didn't find any other models. So that, yeah. that, that makes it unique, I guess. Yeah, I did, you know, before, you know, just given my kind of businessy background, yeah. taking off my emotional hat, I did look at, look around for 
a good six months to a year before I really started anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I started asking and looking and there were support groups, but there wasn't anything that like, like helped, helped a mom that moment she walked out of that hospital to know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like the steps. And that's what I, I felt called to do was yeah. to just walk with a mom through all yeah. the things. I, I like your emphasis on, on thinking for those who aren't able to think during grief. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, you know, it's interesting. My book, that's, that's what I was going to do. My book was going to be either was something about that whole concept. Like mm-hmm. when you're so heavy in grief, you can't even think straight. Yeah. You know, you don't know what you need. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, it, you're in a, in a blur. Yeah. So it, it's the, the Finley project is composed of seven parts and it, it really encompasses, you've got it broken down, I think into two uh, physical and, and spiritual, but really three parts, right? The physical, the emotional and spiritual needs of those who grief uh, mm-hmm. kind of summarize those components, those seven components. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on them quickly. But uh, first, we help a family plan the funeral, um, just the practical side of things, mm-hmm. not the financial side. Um, we provide gift cards for meals, um, house cleaning, massage therapy, um, support group placement, um, counseling, like I mentioned, and then a peer support. So like the lady I got coffee with, that's what we now provide for families. Mm-hmm. And so all, all of those things together touch on the emotional, physical, spiritual components that you mentioned, Mitch. Yeah. Um, what, what is, what have you found to be the, the hardest part of that process for people? Um, I would say there are women who are, have been taught their whole lives that you pull yourself by your up by your bootstraps mm-hmm. and you keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of these ladies are encouraged to get help, but they don't, they would just rather not. Mm. And, um, I think showing them people like myself that are somewhat similar or showing them other moms that are somewhat similar. I think they're encouraged to go, you know what? I do need help. I do yeah. need to go to counseling. I do need to talk about this. Um, I think those are the moms that I think have a hard, the women that have it together that are, that have been trained, you know, mm-hmm. to keep going. Those are the hardest ones. I think. Yeah. 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 It's be, it's being willing to receive it. Um, yeah, there has to be some vulnerability there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you asked about a family. I, I have a family that really sticks out to me. Um, I, I do talk about them some, and they're actually in my book, but I'll just share briefly their story. Um, it was uh, Quasi and Chelsea Johnson. They had, um, they were pregnant with twins. And uh, later in the pregnancy, they had found out that there may be some issues with one of their twins. Um, and so the babies were born and then um, they noticed that the one uh, little girl had um, Down syndrome. And so in Chelsea's words, she, she always assumed that there would be a lot of needs for this, this little girl and mm-hmm. that the other one would be the one that thrives and yeah. all of that. And, um, about the ones, um, and into their lives, um, they put Christopher down 
uh, for a nap. And uh, she noticed that he was sleeping for way longer than he normally does. And she went in there and he had stopped mm. breathing. Mm. And it was just this yeah. whole thing, of like, you know, just a surprise of not of this, the one that she thought would be healthy. He was the one that ended up uh, passing. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's just, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But at that time, her husband had got laid off from his job and um, she shared with me that just those gift cards that we had sent her literally mm -hmm. helped buy their groceries for that week, you know, yeah, just the practical yeah. side of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, so. you know, I, I have found that when, you know, for people that are helping others, you might not sense the appreciation and value right then, because again, they are in a fog and it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, to be thinking and, and to even be appreciative sometimes and, and don't let that keep you from, from really reaching out and helping. A lot of times it's when they, I, I did this, I, I look back and even several years later, uh, man, if you had not been there and, or if you've not had not done that for me, you know, I, I would not have survived. Um, so, but yeah, there's this balance between being available and persistent, isn't there? I mean, there are times where you, you probably do find that there's, you know, people are, are not as willing to receive that, but, uh, but being available and occasionally checking in, I think is, is still valuable, you know, so, so not, not to give up when there might not be that, that receptivity early on. Yeah. I, I that's a, that's a really good point, Mitch. I tell our volunteers and the ladies that work for us, I said, you, when you're dealing with people going through grief, you have to have thick skin. Yeah. 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 It, it's not personal. I mean, you know, if you send a text every couple of days and they never say anything, yeah. they see it, they know, yeah. you know, they just I don't have they, the energy to respond because they're, exactly. they're going through a hard time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I, I love how, again, your, your experience came out of, uh, you know, some things that just were, were not, uh, adequate in the hospital. So part of the Finley project has been working with hospitals to improve their, their system, their availability. Talk, talk a little bit about what that's been like. Yeah. The, so, I mean, as we all know, uh, well, with COVID especially, but hospitals are so bogged down with their patients within the hospital and documentation and all their needs. And what I saw was there was just this inconsistency between the time the, the families are in the hospital to the time that they leave. There's just nothing. There was no, um, there was no handoff. And mm -hmm. so that's why the Finley project was so important, especially in my mind, initially get, get to the hospitals, get to the families as fast as possible so that they're not floundering mm -hmm. for too long. Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked very, um, very proactively in the first four to five years of starting this just to get in front of the hospitals, social workers, nurses, neonatologists, mm -hmm. to make sure that they knew that we were out here. Um, and I do, I do think, and this is something I share with them, I, I tell them, don't be afraid to refer you know, once again, families don't know what they need. So in the hospital setting, they need to be okay knowing that they are guiding the family to mm -hmm. what's next. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. And you've also, you've also been effective in making sure there's the right people there and doctors always available. And how, how did you succeed in doing that? <laughs> 
I would say that was that for me was one of the most um, grueling, but also satisfying things that I actually um, that I accomplished. But for for me, as you guys mentioned, or as we mentioned before, Finley died because there was no OB uh, OBGYN uh, on property. Yeah. And what I, what I had learned was that there was a, there are a lot of hospitals in the country that do not have full-time coverage. Um, and I was just not okay with that. Like I, I, I mean, how, how do we function in today's society, especially in a major metropolitan area without Mm -hmm. a doctor on property? Um, and so years, years and years in the making of meeting and, um, you know, begging and pleading and, you know, eventually, I helped them develop an OB hospitalist program, which employs um, about 30 OBGYNs and midwives that only work on property at the hospital. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I also am very passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in the, uh, towards the end of the book that, uh, you know, Finley's uh, death has actually saved lives and, you know, there's never, I I've, I've always been so, careful to never point to the silver lining, you know, that, uh, Hey, this happened because look what came out of it. But, uh, but you, you do say that in the book and I, I wanted to bring that up. And I, I think that's a wonderful perspective. You know, I don't even know. It didn't dawn on me until I got a story. I got a story from somebody who said, I had heard about your story mm-hmm. and I actually was supposed to be delivering at that hospital. And yeah, I switched. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then my kid lived because mm-hmm. it was a similar situation. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Well, so man, you're, uh, you're seven, eight years into all this. Uh, how, how are you encouraged now? What, what encourages you as you look back and see where you are now, as opposed to where you were in those darker moments? It was funny. We, I was actually talking about this with our team the other day. Just, just, uh, it, it, it hit me um, watching all the kids, uh, the pictures on social media of all, you know, everybody's kids going back to school. And I was watching as the moms in our program were posting their rainbow babies, kids, their mm. rainbow babies are now going to school. Yeah. yeah. And I told our team, I said, you know, I said, I am just so overwhelmed thinking about that next generation becoming middle schoolers and then high schoolers and then young adults. And Mm -hmm. I said, what we're doing is impacting generations. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Someone uh, maybe listening is stuck in, you know, the, the, early grief, what, what could you say to give them hope right now and encouragement? I want to say there's no, there's no shame or guilt in feeling that way. And you're listening here for a reason. And today's a new day to start to really, um, to push through, to push, push Mm -hmm. through, to get some help. And whether it's, you know, you lost a child a couple days ago or a couple years ago, there's no shame in reaching out for help at any time. I, I love that. That's, that's so good. Um, and that's a, a good final word here. You, you, you did such a good job, Noel, just explaining, uh, you know, telling your story, but also explaining what you do. And, and thank you again for, for doing that and being willing to 
put your story out. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up here? I just say, uh, I just hope that people hear my story and know that there is hope uh, on the other side and that you can make it. And, and listening to people who have gone through it and, and can say that several years later, that I think that is hopeful and that is encouraging on its own. So, uh, yeah, so we will, uh, on the website, I'll put res- the resources up for people to, to reach out uh, to you. I've even got a few that I'm going to try to connect to, uh, the Finley project. I, I think it'll be a good resource for me to, to go to on a regular basis here. So, well, Noel, thank you so much for, uh, just doing such a good job with this podcast interview. Absolutely. Thanks Mitch, for having me. You are so welcome. Thank you. there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Be sure to check out our website, www.beforeyouquit.us for 92 episodes that I've done in the past four or five years. Uh, So appreciate if you do that. And until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.